What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Welcome to Creature Feature, production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of Mini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and today on the show, we're standing on the shoulders of giants. Giant extinct animals, that is. Some of today's most fascinating animals have surprising ancestors. From giant sloths to woolly rhinos to enormous turtle rabbits. Discover this and more as we answer the age-old question... Which animal is best at being a sphere? Joining me today is host of the awesome podcast, Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, friend of the show, friend of all animals, Alex Schmidt. Katie, it's an honor to be here. Every time, uh, th- thank you for, for letting me like bookend my holidays with humongous mammals. I love humongous, humongous mammals. mammals. It's, it's a real joy. I, I, uh, I made the bison emoji, if people don't know. Katie very nicely helped out with with a podcast about it. and And I... I can just something about humongous mammals is relatable to me. I, I don't know if everything's a mammal this week, but I just really like a big animal, especially one that a has. Mammal. You get a mammal. You yes. get a mammal. Everybody gets a <laughs> mammal. Yeah, no, it's all am- mammals. All of it's mammals. They're all big mammals. Um, yeah, Alex likes it's big like, mammals. It's like look under your chairs. <laughs> it's like a megatherium or something. It's <gasps> definitely been there the whole time. Uh, <laughs> you're just perched. Yeah, yeah. Just you hadn't noticed yet. Um, yeah, no. It's these are yeah. modern day mammals that have ancestors who are either really big or really surprising. And awesome. yeah, yeah, I. Th- Figured we could start our new year with looking back at the past. I mean, the, the very distant past, sort of a, you know, didn't like, oh, like the 80s. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like the 80s when <laughs> saber tooth tigers roamed Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Reagan, am I right? Reagan. What a dinosaur. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) Although (laughs) we are more so talking about tens of thousands of years ago, more like. (laughs) So. Tens of thousands, okay. Yeah, Yeah. so pretty recent, you know, just just like 12,000 years ago, you know. Not that, not that. Uh, this is skip hop and jump yeah. back into yesteryear. In fact, we uh, uh, humans overlapped with these extinct mammals, uh, which when you think about nice. it, as we go over these ridiculous animals, it's going to be surprising to think about early humans just being next door neighbors with them. Yeah, especially I feel like with dinosaur stuff, like there's a point where you're a kid where you're initially like, great, I'll bet people rode T-Rexes. And then somebody tells you, no, humans didn't overlap with dinosaurs. Get it out of your head. Get it totally out of your head that humans right. could ever overlap with these huge animals. So it's it's almost like a mental flip back to start seeing some of this ancient stuff as stuff we were at the same time as. Really cool. Yeah. And I mean, like humans could have ridden these animals except probably they would have been shortly thereafter demolished but technically (laughs) possible yeah so first let's look at some modern day animals that i'm sure you're all familiar with the sloths so modern sloths are an adorable group of arboreal mammals typically not much bigger than a medium-sized dog They are found in Central and South America, and they come in two flavors, the two-toed genus and the three-toed genus. So the most famous species of the three-toed sloths is the brown-throated sloth. So that is the sloth from Zootopia, and most popular culture sort of conception of a sloth with that little bandit mask, very slow, very cute, uh, (laughs) hangs in trees all the time. You know, your prototypical sloth. Yeah. I, you sent you sent a picture. I'm just looking at it, having a good time, feeling warm vibes. <laughs> so there are three other species of three-toed sloth. Uh, in order of increasing rarity, there's the pale-throated sloth, the maned three-toed sloth, and the pygmy three-toed sloth, which looks like an adorable tiny chihuahua-sized version of the brown-throated sloth and is critically endangered. Uh, they are actually found only on an island in the Caribbean called Isla Escura oh. de Veraguras, found only in the red mangroves over an area of under two square miles or 4.3 square kilometers. There are only about 80 pygmy sloths left, and they are primarily threatened by loss of habitat. So super adorable, very rare little dudes. Yeah. I hope, uh, I hope conservation efforts are happening. I know. I would give a kidney for one of these sloths. Just, I mean, come on. Just a little, yeah. it's a little, it's such a little biscuit. Look at this thing. It's just a little ball of fluff, <laughs> of lazy fluff, and all they want to do is hang around. So. <laughs> yeah. This one picture you sent, a sloth is sticking a little bit of its tongue out. Yeah. Like that one cat on the internet that I forget the name of. Yeah. That's a pygmy sloth. A little bub, I think, maybe. Yeah, like it's doing pure golden joy in the, yeah. with its face. And I, <laughs> These must be so protected. I hope it's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in 
So the two-toed sloths, while looking very similar to the three-toed sloths with similar behavior and often living in the same forests, evolved from a common ground sloth ancestor independently to adapt to the arboreal lifestyle. So they independently evolved from terrestrial versions both into the trees, but two branches of parallel evolution. They are, in general, slightly larger than three-toed sloths, and they include two species. There is Linnaeus's two-toed sloth and Hoffman's two-toed sloth. Uh, and I guess Linnaeus and Hoffman uh, own all the sloths. I don't, I don't get it. Like, who died and made them CEO eh, eh. of sloths? Right. It's all. It's like we always say we need more than two sloth parties, right? How do we have a system where there's only two sloth right. parties and only two choices? <laughs> You're barely even voting at that point, right? We need a sloth parliament. <laughs> yes. So the two-toed sloths uh, typically have more of a solid brown coat or reddish brown coat and light faces, but they don't have those little bandit masks. Hoffman's two-toed sloths uh, often drools and spits with its mouth open, which reportedly looks very silly. Scientifically speaking, it's called looking very doofy. They're nocturnal, uh, which is actually in response to competition with the three-toed brown-throated sloth. So they're both trying to kind of like, they, they inhabit the same ecological niche. They're both these tree-dwelling, leaf-eating animals, and so... By switching to being nocturnal, they don't have to compete as much with the three-toed sloths. But in areas where actually there aren't as many three-toed sloths, they can have different schedules. So they can be diurnal or crepuscular. So it's definitely seems to be in response to competition. They also have cute pink noses. That's very important. But <laughs> despite yeah. having evolved separately, Three-toed and two-toed sloth species have some common characteristics. So they're both very slow-moving, both eat leaves and digest have to digest them very slowly. They live in trees. They have special long claws that can grip onto tree branches. And they actually, their muscles have adapted so they automatically at rest are gripping onto the tree. In fact, if they are asleep, they can keep gripping. They can even be dead and still be hanging in the tree, which is equal parts funny Whoa. and sort of uh, macabre. So, um, yeah, they also only poop every week or so and descend from the tree to do it in a great uh, migration down to the ground to do a poop <laughs> once every five to eight days or so. Wow. So they... I. There must be some reason they've decided to not just drop it. And I hope it's nice manners. I'm sure there's some survival reason, but I, I hope it's just like, mm, come on, we're yeah. we're put together. I mean, like we're better than that. The way that they sort of first of all, the way that their muscles work, they don't they're like hanging upside down. So I think if they just like pooped it'd be much more likely to get stuck to their fur. Um and, oh, sure. you know, okay. it's also apparently there's some benefit to them going down and pooping in the dirt because it's in addition to being more hygienic, I think they 
actually will collect some like microscopic organisms that go onto their coat and uh, are involved in sort of a symbiotic relationship. So yeah, it's actually really interesting. That's amazing. Yeah. Because with animals pooping that are also animals that spend time high up, you know, you always think of birds just letting it go. Like there's, man, I always think about the far side when I think of animals. There's that far side where it's a bird's view of the world and it's just target signs on everybody's heads and on like the back of a dog and stuff. But sloths, very different approach. I love it. They're, they're like, we're going to migrate down. We'll drop it off. Like, you know, we, we, don't, we aren't like them. <laughs> pointing at a bird we aren't like them we're better <laughs> yeah actually what's really interesting is pooping on the ground uh feeds into this whole symbiotic relationship that they have with these moths that actually uh will Whoa. use the sloths and moths sloths and moths up. a dynamic duo and <laughs> Yeah, so like uh, it'll be an area where the moths can lay their larvae who are uh, nourished by the poop and then they hatch into moths and then they live in the sloth's fur and then they the moths in turn nourish algae uh, that grows in the sloth's fur that the sloths will lick off and provides important vitamins to them. So there is a... What? Yeah, this whole... It, by pooping in the ground, they're basically creating this whole amazing symbiotic life cycle of moths, algae, and sloths. I've never heard of that before, and I love it. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Just very excited. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they're, because I, I think I, I never assumed their fur looked like clean, but it also didn't look like it had stuff in it. But it's full of algae it, and moths. Yes. Amazing. Algae and moths. It's a whole forest on their backs. And you can actually see sort of a green tinge to their fur sometimes. Wow. Yeah, it's That's incredible. So cool. They're like those mythical turtles that have worlds on their back. Amazing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> actually, some turtle species, river turtles do grow algae on their backs and it can look very mystical. Oh, that's awesome. But their ancestors were very different from these adorable little slow-moving living ecosystems who poop on the ground once a week. Their ancestors <laughs> were the giant ground sloths who not only pooped on the ground, but did everything else on the ground too. So they were found in <laughs> South and North America. Many species of ground sloths existed and evolved some were closely related, some were very similar in anatomy, but due to parallel evolution, it caused them to actually repeatedly evolve these similar characteristics despite not being like super closely related, similar to the two-toed sloth and three-toed sloths. They're not unrelated, but they're yeah. not as closely related as you would think because they both evolved from a common ancestor who was a ground dwelling and they both independently evolved to be tree dwelling and evolved these very similar characteristics. And this is actually called homoplasy when you have these very similar characteristics being evolved due to very similar evolutionary pressures in a population that is related, but maybe aren't following the exact same evolutionary path. So, cool. uh, in fact, the two-toed sloths, so the little brown, the ones that are sort of more of a solid brown, they do not have that bandit masks. Uh, they are most more closely related to their extinct giant ground sloth relative, the polar bear-sized sloth M. jeffersoni, 
of the Megalonyx genus than they are to their three-toed sloth cousins, which is amazing. Meanwhile, the three-toed sloths belong to an evolutionary lineage that includes the genus Megatherium, whose most famous species is the giant ground sloth, which is the size of an elephant. So the giant yeah. ground sloth, I yeah, Alex is getting excited. I can see it. <laughs> I think because I and I didn't mean to step on it, but I, I think I mentioned the megatherium. You did, before, you did. And I think it's because I it's I think it's because one of the natural history museums we used to go to a lot had a skeleton. That might be an invented memory, but I remember just Sounds the legit. humongousness of the skeleton being very exciting to me as a kid. Yeah, yeah, it's big. <laughs> So the Megatherium, uh, it was one of the largest terrestrial mammals that ever existed. It weighed around Ooh. four tons and grew over six meters or 20 feet long. It was thought to yeah. walk on all fours, but it was able to stand up on its hind legs to eat leaves or survey its surroundings and was even capable of walking short distances on its hind legs, which is... Cute and scary. <laughs> right, like so could Godzilla. Right. Know? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, <laughs> back off. Yeah. It's like a fluffy Godzilla, basically. <laughs> it had these massive curved claws that let it pull down leaves like a tree trimmer. But if you think about it, a sloth has these big claws. And they're not scary to us because we know they just use them as these hooks to hook onto trees, but imagine those except proportionately just as large, but on an animal the size of an elephant that they use to like just as scythes to cut down the tops of trees. It's incredible and scary. <laughs> yeah, right. If, if you, none of this like just gently reaching for branches, like get down here. Yeah. Like, it's like, it's like over Scorpion here. in Mortal Kombat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, same way of life. I love it. Great. <laughs> Man, that that M Night Shyamalan movie with the um with the plants, the evil plants, the happening. Oh, the happening. Yeah, yeah I've seen it. All you need is some giant ground sloths, and that's it. Those evil trees are gonna go running. <laughs> Just Mark Wahlberg talking about megatheriums. Yeah. Way into it. Yeah. It's a freaking megatherium. It's a megatherium. <laughs> oh, my God. I would love to see Mark Wahlberg being, like, confused about megatheriums and then just get his face stomped in by a megatherium. <laughs> <laughs> and then basically every performer acting very flatly because it's a Shyamalan movie, too. So just... Look, the Megatherium, it's coming. Just really weak Wow, it decapitated <laughs> Mark Wahlberg. I mean, whatever his character's name is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so because of these massive claws, it actually had to walk on the sides of its feet, similar to how modern-day anteaters walked. And I think the last time you were on the show, wow. we actually talked about another animal that was morphologically kind of similar to a giant sloth, the Anisodon grande. Yeah, the gorilla bear, uh, uh, deer, I think. Yeah, the many, gorilla many bear mammals. deer. 
Yeah. Yeah, which also had big claws and had to walk on the sides of its feet kind of awkwardly. Yeah, that this is a popular shape back back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's what scientists de- like to describe as a big lug. These guys were big lugs, folks. Indeed. (laughs) Sort of palookas of the animal world. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) The big galoots, yes. (laughs) Uh, It may have also been nude. (laughs) Some studies suggest a hairless giant ground sloth similar to the elephant (laughs) rather than a furry one. And I can't decide which reality I want to be true more. The big furry ground sloths or a big nude ground sloth. It's tough. It's close. It's too close to call. This is so... I I love that whole thing with prehistoric and ancient species where we are somewhat guessing at the general look of it. Right. And yeah. And of course it could look like an elephant. Sure. Uh, now, now I'm imagining a very Chihuahua-looking megatherium. Sure, great. <laughs> <laughs> just, just uh, ready for Olympic swimming, you know? Boy, yeah, boy. yeah. Just saggy and baggy in all the right places. Um, <laughs> so the giant ground sloth and other species of ground sloths likely went extinct around ten thousand years ago, probably due to habitat loss due to the changing climate of the time. It's not, we're not really sure whether human hunting really contributed to their extinction or not, but humans did uh, exist at the same time and they probably did try hunting them as we, we basically tried to hunt anything, any, even things that yeah. could definitely kill us. So I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, humans hunted these. I think there's some evidence that maybe they were hunted by humans, but um you know, it's what's not clear is whether we actually drove them to extinction or not. We, we may have. We tend to do that, but it could have also been climate change and habitat loss. But there are also, uh. and there are these giant burrows that you can find in areas where giant ground sloths lived. And while I'm not sure whether it's known whether they were made by giant ground sloths, they're definitely a candidate for these big, I think they're called paleo burrows. They're these huge tunnels. Paleo burrows. Yeah. Red. And they have these huge claw marks on them uh, indicating they were dug (laughs) out by some animal. And so it's it's like, man, this could have, I'm not sure what, where the evidence is pointing to, but it's like there could have been these giant burrows that these giant sloths lived in and just imagine sort of wandering down into one and then, you know, the hulking figure of this giant (laughs) sloth rearing up at you, (laughs) chewing on leaves. I feel like the claw marks either indicate any megatherium or one human prankster. (laughs) One little scamp, right? Trying to fool everybody. One one little uh, cave boy with a rake. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. 
With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. So, Alex, you're probably familiar with rhinos, right? Familiar with them? I am. Yeah, we went to we went to the Bronx Zoo at around Thanksgiving, and they uh, they have a super prominent rhino exhibit. It was one of I think the first big animals they had. It was very nice to see them. Some yeah. white rhinoceroses. I, I like a rhino. I've been to the San Diego Zoo many a time. I love the rhinos. You are separated from them by a nice sturdy fencing wall thing, but I feel like they're pretty curious. Like they often approach visitors and they kind of look at you and they get close enough that you feel like if you wanted to risk getting your hand sort of impaled on their horn, you could like reach out and touch them. Of course you don't because you're not rude, but they are, they're beautiful. They're, there's something I think surprisingly gentle about them. They're often seen as being these big aggressive animals and it, it's true they can be aggressive you don't want to play around with like getting in the path of a rhino but when they're relaxed they're pretty chill and of course that's nice yeah, yeah. and of course they're these big horned leathery skinned mammals most famously from africa but also from india and asia and let's just uh, do a quick review about rhinos So there are five species of rhino currently living. There is the white rhinoceros uh, that you just mentioned, Alex, and there's the critically endangered black rhinos. Uh, Both of these rhinos are from Africa. Despite their names, they're actually both a grayish color. The main difference is actually the lip shape. So the black rhino has a pointier beak-like upper lip, and the white rhino has a more square, rounded lip. So... It's likely that the misnomer is a bad interpretation of the Afrikaans word wide or wide, which I mean, it's just they're basically just (laughs) called wide rhinos, like wide lipped rhinos. But I guess it was misinterpreted as white rhinos. (laughs) That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And there is also the Sumatran rhino that is the smallest rhino in the world, roughly half the size of a white rhino. 
maybe a little less. Uh, it's reddish brown and lives in rainforests and cloud forests of Asia. It's critically endangered as well, and there are only around an estimated 30 individuals left in the world. So they're in a oh, little wait. bit of trouble there, yeah. Sad. <laughs> oh. Sorry. Yeah, it is sad. There's also the Indian rhino with much more clearly segmented armor plating and the, this bumpier, warty hide, which distinguishes them from the white rhino and black rhinos. And then there's the Javan rhino, uh, which is another critically endangered species and is found only in Ujung Kulon National Park. It's not a national park. It's a national park. Ujung Kulon <laughs> National Park on the Java Island of Indonesia. So, Wow. I didn't know they're outside of Africa, too. Yeah. That's amazing. Maybe, maybe yeah. that's well known. I had no idea. I don't know that it's well known, and that's why I'm bringing it up, uh, because I think like yeah. we think about... The white rhinos and the black rhinos, but you know there are other species of rhinos in the world, and so there is still a little bit of diversity in, among rhino species. They are all sort of precarious, I would say. Like a lot of them are critically endangered. Some of them are vulnerable or near threatened. So it's you know I, I think it's it is like something to appreciate these species before they potentially disappear or hopefully we can reverse the disappearing because uh yeah. we do not want our current rhinos to go the way of the woolly rhino because the woolly rhino is this incredible extinct rhinoceros that once roamed uh all around the world or once roamed all around europe and eurasia so Actually, this ties wow. in nicely with a listener question I got recently. And here is the question. There have been mammoths found preserved in the Siberian ice fields. Have there been any other prehistoric animals found frozen there as well? How about in Antarctica? Keep featuring creatures from Michael D. of Texas. Thanks for your question, Michael D., Indeed, there are other animals that have been found preserved in ice fields, uh, especially the Siberian ice fields, lots of animals there, including woolly rhinos. So last year in eastern Siberia, the body of a young woolly rhino was found frozen with skin and internal organs intact, which is... Wow. Yeah. Like... That it's an amazing find. Uh, there's so much you can learn about an animal once you start to get soft tissues, including internal organs, that you cannot learn from fossils. Yeah, I mean we're gonna clone it, right? Let's clone it. <laughs> Great, let's do it. I mean, fire up the clone machine. I think, if I'm remembering correctly, there is a de-extinction project where it's sort of this speculative thing of like once we get to the point where maybe we could clone species. And I think woolly rhino is one of the ones that they are interested in. I'm not sure how feasible that is. It's a similar problem of cloning the woolly mammoth, which is like, okay, say you can clone it or replicate it genetically, then where does it go? <laughs> where do you put it? Because <laughs> it's a... Uh, Right. Environment no longer exists. Not my house. NIMBY. <laughs> NIMBY. NIMBY, folks. Not in I'm a my real back, uh, back era. <laughs> uh, 
Nimbe. It's French. Yeah. <laughs> Nimbe. So. Oh, no, no, no. I'm like jumping up and down in that stereotype for sure. Anyway, we don't carry on. have room I'm sorry, for French. Vinyls. <laughs> so, yeah, this young woolly rhino is one of the best preserved frozen animals ever found. It also came with a small horn that they found also in the ice that was just a few feet away from its body. So what what is this woolly rhino all about? What's the situation with with this fun and fuzzy friend? So like the name suggests, it was a rhino with long, thick fur uh, to survive the cold of Ice Age Europe and Asia. They were pretty darn big. They were over 12 feet, almost four meters long from tail to head and possibly up to 6,000 pounds or 2,700 kilograms. They were as tall as a human, 6.5 feet or two meters tall at the shoulders. Uh, This is actually around the same size of a white rhino, except way fluffier with a much bigger horn. So they had two horns similar to... A lot of species of current rhinos, but their front horn was much more massive than modern rhino horns. Yeah, this artist's depiction you sent, it's its like, it's just huge. That's what I have to say about it. But <laughs> I, I, I feel like when you see modern rhinos, and I've only seen the white kind of the black kind, I think. But when you see those, it's like almost surprising how much we focus on the horns because they're just not that big. Like it's a prominent horn, but it's nothing like this. It's, it's pretty not judgmental this to me. Humongous, like scimitar. Yeah. Also, I I am. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I have like Simon Cowell style opinions about rhinos. Like not good enough. Next, <laughs> that was a. <laughs> I didn't load up a British accent in time, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's uh it's I feel like he who has the biggest horn should cast the first horn. Is that <laughs> I don't know. But look, yeah, <laughs> when you compare the woolly rhino's horn to modern day rhinos, you're like, "Oh, I mean, like modern day rhinos have like kind of elegant slender horns like like a unicorn or something, but these woolly rhinos just had like Big old yeah. honkers. I mean, horns. Big old horns, not honkers. But, you know, horn. Big old horn. So, <laughs> these horns were so impressive, early people who recovered the fossilized horns thought they were the claws of giant birds or griffins. <laughs> I, I like somebody saying, like, it's either a bird or a griffin. Like, right. it's either this real kind of animal... <laughs> Maybe it's a giant bird or some kind of flying lion bird. The same monk who brought you the drawing of what they thought a lion looked like, which was just like an angrier, spikier dog, is the griffin, (laughs) some kind of bird with maybe cat feet or something. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Like, these remains are either a dog or a tauntaun from Star Wars. It's one of those two. I'm equally confident, folks. (laughs) And we have a terrible memory as a species because we actually did live with the woolly rhino as contemporaries. So early humans uh, were around at this time, and there are actually cave paintings depicting them. Cool. Some of the paintings seem to indicate that woolly rhinos 
used their large horns to fight off other animals. So early artists drew these like battle scenes between a woolly rhino warding off other animals with their big old horn. That's so cool. Yeah. Wow. And I, I've looked at some of the, these cave paintings and I think they're actually pretty good. Like when I think about cave paintings, sometimes it's like, oh, you know, early artists, we hadn't learned perspective yet. So the paintings can't be that good. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, I think it might be marginally better than what I could do. <laughs> <laughs> and then meanwhile, I'm Simon Cowell. Not good enough. Terrible. <laughs> There we go. There's your Perfect British, British accent. accent. Perfect. Loaded up. Perfect Simon Cowell. <laughs> but that is, that, that's really cool that they did such evocative art of this thing that, yeah, I, I have to assume happened. It, it really looks like a weapon horn. It looks like a yeah. big saber or something. Well, if they use them like anything, the, anything like how modern day rhinos use them, they do use them as defensive weapons as well as tools to like dig up grasses and stuff or to like help guide their calves gently. So used gently, they can be sort of a communication tool, but used less gently, they can definitely be a defensive <laughs> weapon. And so I would not be shocked if these were used as defensive weapons. They may also have had something to do with like sexual signaling, like, hey, look at look at my horn, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah, I, I mean, really interesting. <laughs> they also had a large hump near its shoulders, both to help support the huge horn and where it stored fat reserves to help sustain it during the winter. So like your favorite, kind of like a bison. Yeah. Yeah, bison stuff. Yeah. yeah if, if people don't know, a bunch of an American bison's weight is its head. And so they have a huge hump to just exactly. hold it up. And, exactly. And not fall forward all the time. And due to preserved specimens that we've found, we know something about its diet. It ate grass, flowers, moss, and even branches. So... You know, herbivores with a giant, uh, just skull penetrating horn. Yeah, I'm amazed. I feel like woolly mammoths get so much ink. They get so much press. Yeah. Talk up so much. And then, and I think it's partly because we love elephants. But then this other pachyderm we love, the rhino, has a woolly version that I'm learning about right now for the first time. Really it's, cool. I think it's uh, it's unfair that the media spends so much time on elephants, mammoths. Oh, my God. <laughs> But yeah, you got you got woolly rhinos, which I think are, you know, they're basically like a big bison unicorn, lovely creatures. Wouldn't want to get chased by one, but I do love them. So, no. you know, time to shine a light, you know, and what's what's the Washington Post thing like shining a light on woolly rhinos at, at last or something, you know, that their journalism <laughs> Tagline. For God's <laughs> sake. Tagline well is mammoths are the only woolly animal. Typical mainstream <laughs> media. Wow. Typical. <laughs> Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over six million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag-A-Job's got a worker for that. 
With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Armadillos. You like armadillos? I like armadillos. What about you? You like armadillos? I'm pro armadillo. Yeah. They yeah. make me think of uh, the Southwest. We yeah. used to have a lamp from Target where the whole base was an armadillo shape. And it was a little fun Southwestern thing we got. Cute. But I, uh, yeah, I, I didn't, you know, grow up near them or anything. But they're yeah. cool. But I like an armadillo. That's good stuff. Yeah. 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 They're some of the weirdest mammals in the world, though, no doubt. Armadillo, the name, comes from the diminutive of the Spanish word armado, or armed man, or armored man. But the Aztecs <laughs> called the armadillos turtle rabbits, which is a wonderful name, a turtle rabbit. Yeah, that's just better. It's so good. It's a much... <laughs> it's so good. It sounds like something from Avatar, The Last Airbender, the cartoon series. They had like turtle ducks and stuff. Oh. And, but like a turtle rabbit, it's so good. I love it. It's perfect, too. It's the perfect description. So That show, man. Armadil- Ar- armed man armed man is not the vibe you get from this like <laughs> what like one foot long little guy small waddling armed around. Man. <laughs> I mean ar- I think it, it's really like small armored man, like a small armored man. But yeah, turtle rabbit yeah. better. Better yeah, name. No. Turtle rabbit. Petition to change point, the name point to turtle to the rabbit. Aztecs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they're found in the same super order as sloths and anteaters. And uh, there are actually many species of armadillo. So there are 21 species of armadillo, all found in the Americas, and they all share a similar trait. Amazing plate armor made up of keratin that protects their bodies. So some species can roll up into an impressively well-armored ball, uh, whereas other species cannot roll into a ball. So the ones that can roll into a ball are able to tuck in their more vulnerable body parts into a relatively impenetrable sphere. So perhaps the most impressive species in terms of ball rolling ability is the southern three-banded armadillo 
and Brazilian three-banded armadillos. So they have armored heads and tails and can, in the blink of an eye, jump and roll into a ball, tucking everything in. They interlock their head and tail into place like a yin-yang, sealing them into the most perfect, impenetrable armadillo ball. They truly have achieved pure sphericality. I'm going to share this uh, gif with you. Amazing how easily they can snap into a ball. And the claws of, of these uh, three-banded armadillo are so long and sturdy, they can walk on the tips of them almost like their hooves. And most armadillos need really strong digging claws for digging up ants and termites. Katie, Katie, I'm, lo- I'm looking at this chip of an armadillo becoming a ball. Yeah. And if, if any listeners do not look up this chip, I will be very upset with them. It'll it, be in the show notes. This is the greatest notes. thing I've ever seen. There's no this excuse because it's in the show notes. I'm confident it's there. You you need to go see this. It's like it's like it's standing there and then it does a little turn and then boop ball mode. Just boop, boop ball. Yeah. Just boop immediately. Like <laughs> yeah, hop ball. Shape it's of like that ball. gif of the guy who like impressively pops out a folding chair as he's yeah. walking so he can go see stuff. It's that energy. Like, time for me to do this. It's great. It just sees some business it doesn't want, it doesn't like going on. It's like, nope, ball. I'm ball. Look at me. Ball yep. now. <laughs> so we've actually covered some of the weirder armadillos on the show before, like the pink fairy armadillo that kind of looks like a piece of sushi, and the screaming hairy armadillo, which is hairy, and it does scream. But let's look at the most prototypical <laughs> armadillo, the nine-banded armadillo, These are gray armadillos found in North, South, and Central America. They're the most widespread Mm. armadillo, so probably the most famous. In North America, they are found in Southeastern United States, and they can grow to be about the size of a chihuahua. They cannot roll into a ball like the three-banded armadillos, but they are still protected by that hard keratinous armor. Because they can't roll into a ball, they rely on burrows for further protection, so a predator trying to dig them out of a burrow is just going to be met with a hard armored uh, top side of the armadillo. And it's going to be very hard to get at them. But the largest yeah. species, the largest living species of armadillo is the giant armadillo of South America. They can grow to weigh up to 70 pounds or 32 and a half kilograms. But captive set specimens can reach up to 120 pounds or 54 kilograms. Minus the tail, they grow a little over three feet long, which is about a meter. So they're they're big. They're they're big little dudes. They're they're hunky and chunky. <laughs> <laughs> but This is actually nothing compared to the extinct genus of close armadillo relatives, the Glyptodons. They were bigger than a Fiat, about the size of a Volkswagen Beetle, and weighed up to over 1,800 pounds, or 840 kilograms. So imagine our armadillo, but the size of a Volkswagen Beetle. So I'm imagining that turn into a ball gif, but it just creates a crater and like a building collapses behind <laughs> it, you know? <laughs> I mean, probably could easily be used as a wrecking ball. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. So they, um, 
went extinct a few like around the same time i would say as like the giant sloths probably around ten thousand years ago Mm. Unlike the more flexible shells of current armadillos, they had a big turtle-like shell that provided their body with coverage and an armored tail. And while they couldn't withdraw their head into their shell like a turtle, the top of their head had this hard armor as well. And they had, speaking of their heads, they were very thick jowled with massive jaw bones, which indicated big old chewing muscles. Um, they also had these ridged teeth that kind of looked like corrugated metal. And they just used these as like grinding mills for hard plant matter. Their tails were so hard and keratinous that they were able to use them as weapons and there have been wounds found in some of the fossils of these glyptodons that indicate they were used in battle uh, within the species. Wow. So between males, maybe fighting over oh. territory or mates. So yeah, just like big old armored tail fights. <laughs> and wow. the, the cutest and most surprising thing about these is they had nasal passage structures that seem to indicate there were areas for large muscle attachments, which may have indicated they actually had a long snout, maybe even a proboscis or trunk similar to a tapir or even a small elephant-like trunk, uh, which I love so much. Just a big old giant hairy <laughs> mammalian turtle with maybe a little trunk on it. Uh, the shells were so big that humans actually may have used them as shelters from weather. It, just incredible. Wait, what? Yeah. People took these shells and were I mean, it, it is shaped almost exactly like an igloo or something. Yeah. So I can see why. But I, I had never made that jump that humans would just be like, perfect, a house. Here we go. Yeah, I mean, probably more like a tent because I don't think it would fit more than maybe a couple people in it. I mean, you know, it's like a Volkswagen mm. Beetle. You can't, you can't fit too many people <laughs> inside of it. <laughs> right, only a couple prehistoric humans or a hundred clowns. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's all you could do. <laughs> <laughs> well. That I yeah, this, hope. I, ugh, what an animal! What an I just, animal! I'm fresh. I'm because also with the Bronx Zoo visit, I'm fresh off of seeing tapirs, and they are really soft fellas. You know, yeah. they're really they're really squishy, and so they're, this they're fully like a living snuffleupagus version. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but the, yeah, the the hard armored. It's just like yeah, like time to get serious, and then with this big doofy shell. Yeah, like it's a like it's a soldier in a red wall book or something <laughs> instead of the little goofy goofus that I saw in the zoo. Really fun. I think I keep up bringing up the like seventies cartoon Herculoids, but this definitely looks like one of the weird characters from Herculoids. Which, <laughs> I mean, I would say I'm dating myself, but I'm not even dating myself because it was way before my time. And for whatever reason, I saw it on TV. Sometimes I think they would do like boomerang classic cartoons or something and I would right. it's fascinating. So anyways, yeah, uh, that, whole, 
maybe there's too much of a tangent, but that'll be a thing. Like I was in a meeting once where I brought up Scooby-Doo and apparently one of the other people decided I'm really old. Yeah. I was like, no, it, it just re-aired. I'm not from one that was a show. No, I wasn't <laughs> alive when this first aired. I just somehow caught it on TV later on in the 90s. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> Things get rebroadcast. I'm right, not 60. Right. Like, <laughs> you know what Scooby-Doo is? You must be like 110. <laughs> I didn't realize Civil War veterans were still alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm the last widow from that war, like in that <laughs> article. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that just about does it for old decrepit things uh, in this podcast. But before we go, uh, I do want to answer the question that we proposed last week of guess who's squawking. Every week we play a mystery animal sound and we ask you, the listener, who is talking? So last week's hint was people will pay out the nose for their poop. Who do you think is talking, Alex? Mm, out the nose for their poop. Is this a toucan thing? It was birdish to me. I don't really know. That's a good guess because toucans do use poop to seal up their nests that they have in tree hollows. But no, this is actually a palm civet. Congratulations to this week's winners who guessed the animal correctly. Auntie B, Trish H, and Elizabeth P. Yeah, so uh, this is an Asian palm civet. Uh, they are small field forms found in South and Southeast Asia in forests, and they eat a type of coffee bean fruit and poop out the bean, which are harvested and made into a very expensive and highly sought after coffee, I guess due to the fermentation that happens in their gut, which makes it good poop coffee, very fancy. Unfortunately, this has led to civet farms that cage and force feed palm civets. So personally, I would avoid drinking the poop coffee for ethical reasons, but also it's expensive poop coffee, guys. What are you doing? Yeah, man. I Because I Googled a picture of this animal while you're talking about it. It's very cute. And it's I immediately cute. became concerned people were like doing something shady to keep it and look at it all the time. Ma'am. Yeah, no, it's extremely cute. It looks like a raccoon cat with a prehensile tail. It's adorable. Yeah. Leave the poop alone, folks. Let them poop in peace. Yeah, you can get Dunkin' Donuts coffee and you can get a cat. <laughs> if you want You'll crappy coffee, you things. can go get Dunkin' Donuts coffee. I'm sorry. I Dunkin' <laughs> is great. I, I don't know anything about coffee. It's probably good. I apologize, everyone, if you like Dunkin'. If you run on Dunkin', it's fine. <laughs> I don't even drink coffee, so what do I know? Please don't sue me. So, on yeah, to this. New England was going to rise up there if you didn't walk that back. Boy, boy. Please. <laughs> uh, so, on to this week's mystery animal sound. A hint. As adults, they look like a beautiful sunset, but as babies, they just don't want to be someone else's grub. Wow. Any guesses, Alex? That's not two animals. 
That was that was like well, was the a... highest squeakiest noise, and then hoo 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 hoo. Okay, so the background like, I, I really noise is probably. I'm gonna give you this: the background noise, probably some kind of owl. Um, uh, that's not oh, okay, what we're cool. focusing on. What we're focusing <laughs> on is the little squeaky noises, the mystery squeaks. Yeah. Wow. Um, let's see. And I'm thinking of the hint. There was something about grubs. There was something about being very colorful, like a sunset. Uh, is this is this some sort of that also does Michael Winslow style sound effects? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Well, the answer will re- be revealed in next week's creature feature. Thank you so much for joining me today, Alex. Where can the people find you? I, Katie, thank you so much every time. And and people can find my show Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. If you just search the name Secretly, it usually comes up in your podcast player. But it's about one people, but it's about one thing people think is ordinary. And it turns out it's amazing if you discover the history and the science and the lore. And it's me and funny guests, such as Katie Golden. And on January 3rd's episode, she is the guest. We talk about maize, which is also known as corn. Corn. Uh, thank yeah. you guys so much for listening. You can, if you ha- think you have an answer to the Mystery Animal Sound Game, you can write to me at Gmail, CreatureFeaturePod at gmail.com or on Instagram, CreatureFeaturePod or on Twitter, CreatureFeetPod. That's F-E-A-T, not F-E-E-T. That is something very different. And if you're enjoying the show and you leave a rating and review, I will be eternally grateful. I read every review. I get a cup of hot cocoa, bundle up by the fire, and read every review out to a bunch of random children um, like story time where I'm like you know uh, <laughs> Apple iTunes user you know Weezer fan 900 writes like you know hey cool pod uh, anyways thank you so much for listening and thanks to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song Exolumina Creature Feature is a production of iHeartRadio for more podcasts like the one you just heard visit the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcasts or hey guess what Wherever you listen to your favorite shows, I don't judge. See you next Wednesday. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. 
Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.